You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Welcome to Walls Fall Down. I know some of you, if you were here in Elk Grove last night, you might thought that your walls were going to fall down. A little thunder, a little lightning happening. We're grateful uh, for the rain that we received. And how great for us to gather here today. It's the first Sunday of the month. It's the first day of the week. A little bit later on, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. We'll have communion together. And we just honor God in many ways just by our our activity today. We're honoring God with the firsts in our lives. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open to Joshua chapter 7. Now, we've been looking at uh, Israel coming up out of the desert, crossing the Jordan River, coming up against the gateway city, the fortress of Jericho. Uh, But today, we're going to look at a principle that applies to this entire section of Scripture, this entire passage, and more importantly, to your lives. But it's just after the walls fall down from Jericho. So we're going to jump ahead in the story, and then we're going to come back a little bit. But in order to understand what it means to honor God with the first in our lives, we need to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 4. If you want to keep your finger in one part of Joshua 7, you might want to flip back to Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. It talks about offerings, and it says this, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, this is a confusing story for many people who read it first time. Because when you read it the first time, you're going, two guys bring an offering. God liked one. God apparently didn't like the other. And you wonder, why in the world would God like Abel's offering but not Cain's? Did Cain bring something nasty? Did he bring something? What what did he do? What did he do that was wrong that God didn't like it? Why did God favor Abel? Was he playing favorites? What was going on here? And unless you go back and read the beginning of verse 3, you will miss the entire part. The first words in the beginning of verse 3 says, In the course of... Of time, Cain brought some of the fruits in the course of time. See, Abel's practice is that he would bring the first, the best. He would bring the first of his produce, the best of his produce, and he would honor the Lord by giving that. But not Cain. Cain, seeing the example of his brother, would in the course of time, in other words, over time, he's like almost obligatory, like giving God leftovers, like not the first, but out of obligation. Okay, I'll bring an offering too. And he lays it before the Lord, and the Lord's going, it's not what I want. I want the firsts in your life, the very first. And so Abel's offering, God accepts, and it was pleasing to him, but Cain's, it wasn't. And Cain is all upset about it, and God's like, listen, if you do what's right, if you honor me with the first, then I'm going to show you my favor. I'm going to give it to you. I'm not withholding anything from you. If you just honor me first and not with the leftovers, then I will honor and favor you. But as you know, what happens in the 
in the account, the very true account, is that Cain's anger goes unchecked. And he kills his brother. It's the first murder that had ever happened in humanity. But God rejected it because it wasn't the first of Cain's heart, the first of his income. Now you remember that as they're approaching Jericho, God says to the people of Israel, this city shall be mine, the first, all the people in it, the livestock, the plunder, the gold, the silver, the clothing, the architecture, everything in there, all of this is to be dedicated unto me. In other words, it is mine. Nobody, it's not for you. Nobody should take it. It's all dedicated to me. Why? Because God deserves the first. And God's not some egomaniac that goes, hey, you got to give me what God is. He's saying, I'm God. And as God, it is righteous. It is correct. It is pure. It is holy to offer up to him the first. And so he says of all these cities, and listen, you're going to take, you know, Israel, you're going to take the entire nation. There are hundreds of cities. All that plunder will be yours, but not the first. And so what happens? Israelites are conquering the land. They conquer Jericho, as we'll look in just a couple weeks here. They go up to it. The walls, as you know in the story, they fall down. They take the city. Then they go on from there. They just knock down the gateway fortress. Now they go into the second city, which was not as strong, a city called Ai. So you just call it I, I guess. And so you go to this city, and they go up there, and they go to attack the city. God is with them. He just blitzed the first city. They go to the second city, and a massacre happens. 36 soldiers at the beginning of the battle of Israel get killed. Then they turn around and flee and they get chased for a long way. Let me just put that in context. We have a world gone wide. You hear of mass killings. You hear of all sorts of things going on in our world, right? Well, to the Israelite people, they put themselves right there in our shoes when we experience a killing. And so for them, 36 families mourning the death of their dad or their son. They get chased. They lose their confidence. I thought God was with us. What happened? Basically, they got their rears handed to them. They're in shock. Their plan backfired. They're saying, what in the world went wrong? Where was God who parted the Jordan River so we could cross? Where is God who made the walls fall down? Now we go attack city number two, the first city that we're all excited to attack because all the plunder gets to be ours now, right? And they get worked. And that's where our passage picks up. We look at Joshua chapter 7. We're going to start with verse 11. Here's God's accusation of Israel. And he says this, and I want you to catch what he says. He says, Israel has sinned. Now listen, these are all plural. He says, they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They, here's the accusation, have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. See, and I want you to understand something if you're taking notes today, and I highly encourage you to because I think what we're going to talk about today is so applicable, so helpful to your life. And the first thing is this, that we're very individualistic here in the, in, in the West. We are super individualistic. We think all about self first, and then we think other things corporate. But that's not the way it is in Eastern mindset. That's not the way it is 
how God often thinks. We think God thinks like we think. He doesn't. He thinks corporately most of the time. And so, number one, God sees sin as corporate first, then as individual second. So when God thinks of sin, you can see it in his accusation, right? He's saying, Israel, the nation, as a nation you have sinned, as a nation you have lied, as a nation you have stolen, as a nation you have taken the devoted things, as a nation you have put these things with your own tent. God looks at sin corporately. Let me just ask, when God looks at America, how does that make you and I look first? They are greedy. They do as they please. They devalue life. They hate one another. They keep grudges. They kill like Cain killed Abel. When God looks at us and looks at a nation, he looks corporately first. Then he looks individually second. So Joshua chapter 7, skip ahead to verse 16. They hear God's accusation. Verse 16 says this. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, It is true. Now he's going to speak singularly, isn't he? The accusation was plural, but now he's going to say singularly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, which is about five pounds of silver, a, be- a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, which is about a one and a quarter pound bar of gold, I coveted them and I took them. And they were hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Okay, let me just say something. Achan was mistaken. Achan was mistaken. He was mistaken when he had taken what rightfully belonged to God. He decided to take this all to himself. So verse 22 says this, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the Israelites spread them out, those things, before the Lord. Then Joshua together, listen, this is corporate now, with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, listen, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor, by the way, Achor means trouble. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the valley of Achor ever since valley of trouble 
Achan was mistaken when he had taken what rightfully belonged to God. And we have to ask, wait, wait a minute, Dave. Like, why was this guy treated so harshly? And let me just say something. In the Old Testament, we see God at times being very angry. We see God being super strict. We see God being just super angry to the point where the cost is life and blood. But in the New Testament, we see the entire anger and wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ, God himself. And God's anger is satisfied. And now in the New Testament, he begins to speak with grace and love and favor and forgiveness. But it came at the cost that there would be one who would be sacrificed for all. So when we look at the Old Testament and we see the anger of God, it is a righteous anger. See, we think of our sin as being individual. It's just my sin, right? But sin is corporate, isn't it? Our sin affects other people. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just like, keep it, uh, just, it just bugged me. But our sin affects other people, doesn't it? It impacts other people. What if you were the son or the daughter? It impacted his animals. It impacted all that they had, his entirety. God looked at it corporately, and Israel responded corporately to the sin of Achan. He was mistaken when he had taken what really belongs to God. Jericho was the first conquered city. All the rest of the cities can be yours, but the first must belong to God. See, Achan was mistaken when he acted on the lie that he deserved what was rightfully God's. And I want to suggest that we don't judge Achan too strictly because I think many times you and I do the exact same thing. We believe the lie that we deserve what rightfully belongs to God. But we need to honor God with the first of our life. You say, well, what does that mean, Dave? We've got to honor God with the first of our life. If you're taking notes today, God wants all the first of your life. That's why Satan uses culture to convince you to dedicate the first to yourself instead. Do you see how that works? See, Satan will never defeat God. He will never come again. But Satan is the most passive, aggressive, created individual in the history of creation. He cannot defeat God. So what does he do? He passively, aggressively goes after what is rightfully God's. So if he can take the worship, the honor, the first that belong to God and convince you and me to dedicate them to ourselves instead, then he devalues, he dishonors the name of the Lord. God wants all the first of your life. And the first thing that God wants is your heart. He wants your heart. And people get put off sometimes. They go, oh, well, God would want too much of me. He might ask too much of me. And you got to realize the first thing that God wants is you. He wants your heart. He wants who you really are. He is passionate about you, more passionate about you than you are about you. You'll judge yourself like you judge other people. God judges you through the eyes of Christ. If you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, God looks at you and he loves you like a good father. He wants to favor you. He wants to honor and bless you. But that doesn't stop him from deserving our first and our best. That those things are rightfully God's and, and we honor him in that. And the first thing he wants, listen, the first thing he wants is you, the real you. 
not the pretend you, not the Sunday you. No, he wants you, your heart. He's saying, I want to know you and what's going on in there. And nothing in there is going to surprise me. And nothing in there is beyond my love. And nothing in there is beyond my forgiveness. I want you. I want your heart. It's the first thing God wants. God also wants the first of our lives. He wants the firstborn. He wants the firstborn. In fact, he says this in Exodus 13, 12. He says, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb set apart unto me all of the firstborn. See, God says that the first are important. And when you or I have a firstborn in our lives, that's important because influence is huge, right? And the firstborn has unique influence among all the born, right? How many of you, by the way, in the room are a firstborn child? All right. God wants the firstborn. Now, how many of you in the room have a firstborn child? Okay. God wants your firstborn. He doesn't devalue the second, third, fourthborn, but God wants the first to be dedicated to him. That we're to dedicate our children to the Lord, that we're to honor them, dedicate all our children, but of course the firstborn. And Satan knows something. Listen to me, because many of us have seen it in our lives. If Satan can mess up the firstborn, it will influence uniquely the secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, fifth, right? If Satan can go after the firstborn, he can negatively influence the rest. And so God is passionate about those of you in the room who are firstborn. God is passionate about those of us in the room who've been given the blessing of a child, a firstborn. We're to dedicate those children to the Lord, set them apart unto God. When God was in opposition to Pharaoh of Egypt, he sent the angel of death, and the angel of death took the firstborn of all of Egypt, including the animals and the livestock. All the firstborn of the animals were even killed by the angel of death. God's passionate about the first. Satan once wanted to destroy the firstborn of God, Jesus, right? He thought by killing him on the cross, this is it. I've attacked. I've destroyed the firstborn of God. This is awesome is what he thought until Jesus rose from the dead victorious. Satan also loves to bring about the destruction of God's children because you and I, we are kind of like a first fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when Christ comes to live in you and me, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're like a first evidence. We are the church. We are the firstborn of God corporately because we put our faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Satan wants to destroy that, doesn't he? And that's why it's not unique. Having lived through Columbine, knowing eyewitnesses, that when the unchecked evil would walk in there and ask a young girl, do you believe in God? And she says, yes, I believe in God. And then he shot her. That that same unchecked evil would show up in other parts of our country asking the same question, doing the same thing. Comes from the same source. It's not just troubled youth. Satan wants to destroy the firstborn of God. He wants to cause division in his church. He wants to destroy the first in your life. He wants you to love yourself and dedicate the first that belong to God. He wants you to dedicate them to yourself. Not only that, but number four, 
God wants the first of your income. Much like Cain or like Abel, he wants the first of our income. He doesn't want us to give the leftovers. He wants us to pay God first, honor God with the first, and then pay the bills, then deal with the rest. But he wants us to honor him first if he's truly first in our lives. Malachi 3 verse 8 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. See, Satan wants us to take what is dedicated to God and spend it on ourselves instead. Why? Why would God want the tithe? Why would God want the offering? Not only does God deserve that because he's first, but it has a trickle-down benefit to us. So I don't want you to think that God's just an egomaniac or that, that some church is trying to raise money. What God is doing is saying, listen, honor me with the first. You bring it into my tithe. Where did all the plunder go from, from Jericho? All that plunder went to the Levites, the priests, the tribe of, the, the, of Israel who would be dedicated to create the temple someday, to watch over the thing. It would all go dedicated unto the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, God touches on the core fear when it comes to you and me and money. The core fear is if I honor God, if I take security away from a tangible item and I honor God with it, then my core fear is that security might be gone. I might not make it. I might lose. I fear that. And any person who begins to honor the Lord with the first, any person who begins to give their lives, we have to get over our fear. It's called faith to give our lives to the Lord. And any time that we begin to tithe, that we begin to take that risk, it's scary. It is. But then you begin to see God work because you've honored him with the first in ways, only ways God can. And guess what? Your security is no longer be in love with money or what money can offer or bring, including some level of security. We know how fickle money is, right? Watch the stock market. Watch your retirement. Right? Money's fickle. But we want that security to be put back in the Lord. He wants the first of our heart. And one of the examples of that is that he wants the first of our income. He wants us to be free from the love of money. Be content with what we have. He will never leave us, never forsake us. Number five, some of you might feel like you've left your first love. You might look back in your life and say, hey, I, am, I used to be way more passionate about God. I used to be way more zealous about the Lord. I used to just have like this huge confidence in God and somewhere along the way life happened. And now I begin to try to put my trust and my security back in myself and I feel pretty distant from God. And here's how it works, by the way. When you and I stray from God, it's like God's standing here and you and I stray. We begin to go over here. We begin to go farther and farther away. Who moved? Was it us or God? It was us. But we begin to feel like, I just don't sense God the way I used to anymore. Well, what does he say to do? He says, do what you did at first. Just begin again. You come back to the Lord. You walk toward him. You begin to get back in his word. You begin to pursue him in relationship. You begin to walk with God again. So have you left your first love? Do the works, in other words, the routine, the relational aspects to get it back. Revelation 2, 4 through 5. 
Jesus is speaking against a church. And it says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent, and here's the solution, right? Repent means turn around. Do the things you did at first. So you come back to the Lord. You simply take that step back toward him. You begin to walk with him again. And guess what? Then you begin to feel like I'm walking with the Lord again. He has not left me. He's promised he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. What happened was I was leaving him. He's never left me or forsaken me. We begin to do the things we've done, and God engages your heart again with him. You recapture your first love. Number six, the first day of your week. God wants the first day of your week. That would be Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's why we have church on a Sunday is because it's the first day of the week. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I doubt here that we will ever do a Saturday night service. Uh, I think Saturday should be reserved for family, but we'll go all day on Sunday if we have to. All day long. As many times as we need. As many as God would grow our capacity. We'll go all day long on Sunday because we want to honor God. But the first, so what do we do? We come. We set aside a time for corporate worship where we all come together we need each other we are stronger together we need that regular reminder that we are honoring god together can you imagine if you tried to have a christian life where you just lived it alone how much in despair would you be but we give the first day of our week for corporate worship that means if you work come at night if you uh, are joining us online get to a local church Check it out. When you travel, will you still honor God with the first on your Sunday? What about when you're on vacation? What about finding a, a, a gathering of believers, a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching believers in the area that you're going to travel to? Will you go and worship them? Will you honor God with the first of your week? Not only does God want the first day of your week, but he wants the first part of your day. And I listed this as devotions. Uh, some people know what that means. Devotions means you take time to be with God out of your day. And being with God means you're reading his word. That's him communicating to you. And it means that you're in prayer where you're communicating back to him. But you and I need to do that every day. And while we can do it all day long at any point in the day, so often in scripture it talks about the morning, the firsts of our day. Mark 1.35, Jesus practices very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus modeled it in his own life, the time to be with the Father. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, this is King David, king of Israel, said, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. Isn't that beautiful? That we would spend and give God the first. What would it look like if you grabbed your phone, grabbed your Bible, and read some scripture before your feet hit the floor? What would it look like to give God the first of your day? To begin to honor him, just God, as I'm waking up, as I'm, I'm doing, the, I'm better after my first cup of coffee, believe me, as far as alertness goes. But I want to honor God before my feet hit the floor, I want to begin to start my day hearing from him. Achan was mistaken because he had taken what really belongs to God. And God deserves your first, and he blesses anyone who honors him with the first. Listen, give God the first of your day, your day will go better. And if it doesn't, how you handle your day will be a lot better than if you didn't spend time with God, right? 
Give God the first day of your week in worship and your week will go better. Give God the first of your income and your provision and how you manage money will be better. Give God the first and the best and he'll bless the rest. Listen, give God the first of your heart and your heart will experience this deep wholeness and healing and significance that your heart is longing for and your heart is running after other things, materialism. Your heart is running after other things, relationships. Your heart is looking for, I tell guys sometimes, listen, your heart is running after God in a skirt. He doesn't wear a skirt. Run after God. Run after him first. That your heart will experience deep healing and wholeness and significant that it is longing for. Achan was mistaken because he had taken what really belongs to God. If God pulled inventory today, what would belong to him that's in your tent? What would he say, that really belongs to me, but it's in your tent, it's in your house? It's in your driveway. Can you imagine the impact that the people of Sun Grove Church would have if we just began to honor God with the first? Lord, from right where I am right now, from here forward, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a step of faith. I'm gonna honor you. I'm not gonna backtrack. I'm just gonna, from this point forward, we're gonna honor you and see what you do. Could you imagine? what would happen at Sun Grove Church when people brought out of their house what really belongs to God. How cool would that be? We would look like the early church. Can you imagine what Sun Grove Church would do when we followed Jesus corporately, not just, not just individually, but corporately we followed Jesus with all of our hearts. We said together we can be so much better than separate. But together we just not. And listen, let, let me just tell you something. Statistics show that 80% of the people do, uh, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church. Could you imagine in, if in you're the volunteer, we follow God with all of our heart. We said, God, I'll give you the first. I'll serve. I'll use my giftedness. And we said, I will help set the date so that others could come to know Christ. I'll do whatever needs to be done, or I'll do what I'm uniquely gifted at so that others could come to Christ. Could you imagine if more than just 20% did 80% of the work? In giving, nationwide studies show that 20% of the people pay for 80% of the work in any church. Could you imagine what would happen if we corporately honor God with the first, he would throw open the floodgates of heaven. He would do amazing things in and through your life. He would also do amazing things in and through his church worldwide. Could you imagine? Can you imagine how dynamic your day will be because you started it with God first? Can you imagine the deep impact on your family when you lead them to honor God with the first by being in church every week, even when you're on vacation, unapologetically, consistently? I'm going to give God the first. Your sports schedule doesn't matter. If your sports are in the morning, we'll go at night, but we're going to honor God on the first day. If we're on vacation, we're going to find a place to go. What message does that send your children about who's in charge of life? Right next door on Monday morning, we woke up to gunfire. There was an attempted murder on my neighbor next door. Monday morning, 
as kids are, and most families in my neighborhood had just left their houses to drop their kids off at elementary school. And they came back and everything was cordoned off as a crime scene. We jumped up, looked out the window, and saw violence happening just right there in the middle of our street. And within seconds, uh, Elk Grove's finest was right there. In fact, they, they police lined the whole thing off, so we were inside the police line. I did most of my sermon from home on Monday because we weren't going anywhere. We weren't going in or out. They weren't letting anybody in and out. It was an active crime scene right there. My neighbor next door, Kelly, she is, was just so afraid from this happening like any person would be, right? And she's just so afraid, and, and it's just shaking her. She just, I think she called in to work sick or whatever, but she was just so scared. And so we said, Kelly, come over. Come over to our house for breakfast. So she goes outside. She tries to walk around, but the police line is between her house and our house. There's a barrier. And the police, rightfully so, it's an active crime scene. They're not going to let anybody walk in, on the crime scene. They're not going to let them walk through. So she can't get through the police line. Rightly so. They're doing their job. They're doing a good job. And she, she gets back to it. She says, I can't. I can't make it. I, there's nothing I can do. I can't get over because the, the police line is in the way. I can't get to you. And so we went in our garage and we grabbed two ladders and we put two ladders up on the fence and we made a way for her to walk out her back slider up over the fence on one ladder and down on the fence into our house to have breakfast with us Monday morning and to be together. Our world, listen to me, lives in isolation. They live in fears. And what I want you to understand, the God who says, give me what is first, is the God who put ladders up for you. He built a bridge over his own body as he died on a cross for your sin. He said, I'm lost. I, I can't get through the police line. I am lost in my sin. I am self-centered. I dedicate everything to me. I can't make it across the way. And God says, I will build a bridge through Jesus Christ did that for you. God's the initiator. He's not simply the judge looking at him. He's the initiator saying, oh, out of my compassion you were so lost, but I will build a bridge for you. And let, let me tell you, Satan tried to knock it off. He tried to, to shortchange the process from the very beginning. Satan tried to corrupt him with temptation, to kill him with the cross, and to contain him in the grave. But nothing can contain God. And nothing can contain God when he gives the first and the best for you and for me. And so nothing can stand in the way of your coming to Christ except that he allows you to take that first step toward him. Will you climb the ladder? Will you come over into community? Will you come to be part of his forever family? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, I want you just to ask, if this morning, if we had entitled this morning a day of prayer and repentance, what would you be repenting of today? Will you just tell God that right where you're at? Just tell him in your heart. He hears you. Some of us here, we have dedicated the first to ourselves and we're afraid. But God is saying, give me you first and then honor me and watch me do what only I can do. Some of you today, your, your tithe, your offering needs to be you. And for others of you, you need to step out in faith and honor God. If 
financially. You need to honor God in other ways that he's leading your heart right now. But for some of you in this room, you realize I've never known that Jesus did all that for me, that he paid God's anger, his wrath against sin for me. And so today, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, then you simply pray a prayer right where you're at for the forgiveness of your sins. You pray this right where you're seated. Say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried in the grave, that you conquered death and rose to new life as the firstborn of God. I ask you to come into my heart, make me a new creation. Clean me from all my sin. Today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.